verse 2 says, After six days Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. Now we are not told, nor should we uh, speculate too much, uh, why Jesus, as I said, took just three of his disciples. But let's not miss the point that, that Jesus, as a matter of purpose, as a, as, a, as a plan carried out by his specific intention, Jesus took these, these men and led them up a high mountain in order to provide them with this, this faith-giving experience on the mountaintop. Uh, there Christ was transfigured before them, uh, before their eyes, there the glory of Christ was revealed to them, uh, and their faith was and 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 faith was produced in in their hearts. Thereby, the story of the transfiguration is a story about the compassion of Jesus. We've seen the compassion of Jesus over and over again, but we do not see it nearly so pointedly as we do in Jesus' relationship with his disciples, the twelve. And so the story is, is, is given to you and to me as well, um, that faith might be instilled in our hearts. So that's the point of this story, I'm convinced, and, and I hope that tonight, indeed, faith will be instilled, will be built up in your heart as a result of this, uh, of this portion of God's word, uh, the story is is given to you and me as well. God's word makes it clear, as uh, Ephesians two verse eight says, that faith is not from ourselves, but rather is the gift of God. Uh, the point of the Old Testament is to teach us that uh, neither faith nor obedience. Uh, is the natural uh, ability of God's people. Uh, And the point is is not that we should shake our heads uh, at the weakness of the Israelites or of the the, uh, disciples, but that we should recognize in Israel, in the disciples, our own weakness. And the point of this lesson is is not that we should uh, walk away then saying, well, you know, if God's going to give me faith, I guess he will. Uh, I guess I'll just wait around until he zaps me with faith, because what else can I do? Instead, the point of this lesson is that we should really cry out to God for faith and uh, make use of those means by which uh, he gives and sustains faith within our hearts. So I'm going to do something a little bit unusual, but uh, something maybe unexpected. But um, even this mountaintop experience confirms for us the the working of God by his word. And we may not have a mountaintop experience as these three disciples did, but we still have a God who works faith in our hearts by his word. So let's make sure we understand the, the, the context of this story. Jesus is well into his ministry now. If you've been coming on Sunday evenings, you're aware of that. Jesus has 
has taught his disciples much by this point, uh, including uh, the lessons regarding his own identity as the Messiah, the divine Son of God. Uh, He has done many miracles in the sight of his disciples, including many healings and casting out of of demons. Um, As you will recall, Jesus Jesus has even calmed a storm. He's commanded the weather. Wouldn't we like to do that on a on a cold uh, winter's evening like this? Wouldn't wouldn't it be great if if the weather could be commanded? Uh, that's exactly what Jesus did as he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Um, Jesus has raised the dead. Uh, Jesus has uh, fed the five thousand and then the four thousand, um, and he's walked on water. Um, and all this he has done, we need to see, as a demonstration of his power and his authority to his disciples. All, this, all of this he has done as a revelation. He is revealing himself. He is making known to his disciples his identity as the Son of God. But as you also know, And as another indication of the dullness of our human hearts, the disciples were slow to believe. And so Mark 9, and and as Mark 9 begins, we, we see Jesus again taking three of his disciples and leading them up on the mountain and there to be transfigured before them. To be transfigured before them again, for their encouragement in faith. So I want to use as a first point um, within this story, the glory of Christ revealed. Let's just meditate upon this uh, testimony of God's word, this teaching, the glory of Christ revealed, um, noting how the glory of Christ is indeed shown to the disciples. Again, this is not you know, like the first revelation of God, uh, of Christ's uh, identity, of his glory, but it's a further faith-giving revelation of who Jesus truly is. Probably the most obvious way in which Christ's glory is revealed is through his appearance, his glorious appearance. Verse 3 says, His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Um, Mark maybe came from a a family of launderers, it would seem, perhaps. Uh, Matthew says that his clothes became as white as light. And Luke, being the, the scientist that he was, says that his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Suffice it to know that that his appearance changed drastically in the eyes of of these disciples, so that there so that there they saw Jesus, uh, they saw the truth of the claims of Jesus, uh, and 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 to see who Jesus was like they had never seen before. Even even after the the calming of the sea, even after. The, the many miracles that they had seen Jesus do. This was even above and beyond that revelation 
they were given to see by this transfiguration, uh, the revelation of Jesus like they had never seen before. Well, we have an expression that says, uh, seeing is believing. There's a lot of truth to that. Um, and, and, and that would seem to be the case here. I, I'm sure there uh, is no such color in the box of crayons. Um, but here Jesus' appearance is described, we could say, as supernatural white. And, and as the appearance of Jesus became as a flash of lightning, says, says Luke, so the story, the glory of Christ is revealed to his disciples. But another aspect of Christ's glory revealed is the company of Jesus. Again, we, we are not told, nor does it really help us to speculate, how the disciples knew that this was Moses and Elijah, obviously without photographs and without um, uh, illustrations uh, within their Bibles, how would they know that this is Moses and Elijah, but they knew it. They, they knew that. As verse 4 reports that there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. It's a fascinating moment in the, in the ministry of our Lord. Uh, what we do know is that uh, Moses and Elijah were very prominent persons uh, in the history of Israel. Even more, they represented uh, the entire history of Israel uh, in representing both the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. There's, there's an expression that the, um, that the people of, of Jesus' day uh, were surely familiar with. The law and the prophets. That was their own scriptures. And uh, the disciples surely recognized that Moses was significant as the giver of the law. Uh, Elijah was significant uh, as one of the most prominent, perhaps the most prominent of the prophets. There's, a, there's another certain saying that, um, that we have. Uh, it's who you know. It's who you know. And that would seem to apply here, except to alter the expression to be, it's who you get seen with. Uh, as the disciples see Jesus conversing, and we don't get to hear what they were talking about, but we just simply see Jesus conversing with none other than Moses and Elijah. And, and they are being given to understand, the disciples are being given to understand so much more can we see, and, and do we not come to understand so much more of Christ's full glory simply by seeing him conversing um, with, uh, with Moses and Elijah? I don't know, if you, if you uh, showed up at church and you saw me talking to the mayor of Terre Haute, you would probably say, oh wow, our pastor knows the mayor of Terre Haute. Or... Uh, or maybe the, uh, the governor of the state or the president of the United States. Um, perhaps you would look at me as being somehow more, uh, more worth listening to if, uh, if I gave that 
if that kind of a, an experience uh, was uh, was given to you. So as the disciples see Jesus conversing with none other than Moses and Elijah, the disciples were given to understand more of the full glory of, of Christ. Um, they were be, being given to understand the eternal nature of Christ. Um, in speaking to these ancient figures uh, of Israel. Um, and though they may not have understood it at the time, they were uh, being given to understand that Christ is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. As Jesus himself said in his Sermon on the Mount, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. He didn't come to replace Moses. He didn't come to replace Elijah, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so it says of Jesus following his resurrection, if you remember, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to those, those two men on the road to Emmaus uh, all that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. But yet another aspect of Christ's glory revealed uh, is the affirmation uh, of Jesus provided uh, in in his transfiguration. Verse 7 says, Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my Son whom I love. Listen to him. Not only, not only the voice, but the cloud itself uh, gave affirmation to the identity of Jesus. Why? Because, as I'm sure you can recall, uh, there is a great significance of a cloud within the history of Israel. The glory of God is often revealed in a cloud. Uh, there was the pillar of cloud. That led Israel by day through the wilderness following the exodus. There is a cloud that came down upon Mount Sinai in the giving of the law. Uh, There was a cloud that came down upon the tabernacle. And uh, again, as a manifestation of of the terrible presence of God in all his holiness. And here now, as he was transfigured before them, Yet at the very same time, he's being hidden from them. Why? Because he is God and his, his divinity is being revealed. And his divinity is being revealed so fully that it requires that a cloud come and obscure something of his divinity. He was transfigured before them. And so a cloud descends to envelop Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And so simply in the cloud itself, we need to to think about this, that the, the testimony is given to Jesus as the Holy One of Israel. Indeed, as the divine Son of God. But this affirmation of Jesus comes also in the voice of his father saying, this is my son 
whom I love, listen to him. And so the glory of Christ is revealed um, there on the mountaintop, and the result is that faith is instilled in the disciples. Faith is given to them by way of this experience. And this is the second point. Just like the other times when the glory of God is revealed, here too is uh, is a specific reason for it. God, of course, is, is spirit. Um, a spirit who dwells invisible to the, to the human eye. So that whenever God reveals himself using light, uh, he does so for our sake to communicate something about himself, usually his consuming holiness. And here too, the holiness of Jesus as the divine Son of God, as God himself in our own flesh. The Son of God is revealed as he is transfigured brightly before them. And the reason for this manifestation is to instill faith within his disciples. The first thing we hear about the disciples' reaction is, uh, is Peter's impulsive idea to build shelters, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, uh, and Mark informs us that uh, Peter did not know what to say. They were so frightened. So the initial result of this revelation of, of Christ's glory is, is fear, which is exactly where faith begins. Can we recognize that? Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The disciples needed a, a proper fear of Christ, lest they continue to argue with him, as Peter had uh, just done. We heard it last time when, when Jesus spoke of his impending suffering and death, and Peter objected and tried to become Lord of his Lord. I suppose it shouldn't surprise us that when, when Jesus sets out to do something, he is successful in doing the thing he sets out to do. Here he has set out to reveal his glory. Jesus is doing this on purpose. We need to see that. He's doing this on purpose. He's doing it for the sake of his disciples. And as a result, a deeper faith indeed is found within them as they are given to fear the, the Lord. History bears it out that God's people are always more faithful to their God when they have a proper fear of their God. And the concern today with the, the thought of relating to Jesus primarily as a friend is that we set ourselves up for the fall. Um, the believer of, uh, of lifelong faithfulness needs to love Christ in order to fear him in the proper way, but the faithful believer needs to fear Christ more than he fears men. We need to fear Christ more than we fear men. Love without fear is usually a matter of emotion without conviction. And emotion usually comes up short in serving as a basis for faithful 
obedience. If you love Christ, that's great, you should. But at the very same time, we must fear Christ and certainly fear him more than we fear anything else in this world. Jesus himself said, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. So we, we can call Jesus our friend. We ought to call Jesus our friend. But the, the interesting thing is that the apostles never picked up on uh, calling Jesus their friend. In other words, we don't hear Paul introducing any of his letters saying, um, Paul, an apostle and a friend of Jesus. But they called him instead their Lord and their King. And the apostles saw themselves as bondservants, as loyal subjects to the King that they served. They were there, after all, as he was, except for Paul, but uh, they were there, after all, uh, as Jesus was transfigured before them on the mountaintop. Or in Paul's case, he saw such a manifestation of Christ in his heavenly glory on that road to Damascus that he was immediately obedient to the Christ that he had previously hated and opposed. And so beyond the fact that a, that a proper fear of the Lord is instilled in the disciples, they are also called upon to listen to Christ, to listen. And they are called upon to listen, not as a friend listens to a friend, but as a servant listens to her master, as a subject listens to his king. This is my son whom I love, says the voice of God. And the essence of this is to say, his teaching is my teaching, his truth is my truth. Struggle no more, no more to believe it. This is my son whom I love. But even more, the disciples are commanded to listen to him. Listen to him. And the essence of this is to say, he is your Lord. He is your, he is your king. You must give yourselves over wholly to listening to him. And of course, this is a listening that goes beyond just hearing. Parents deal with their children, right? Uh, they listen, but do they really hear? We're called to listen, but also to hear. It's a, it's a listening by which we accept his claims to be the divine Son of God. But it's a listening by which we do more than hear him. It's a listening by which we obey him. And not because we have to, but because we want to. That's an important distinction. That here is the call to listen, not because we have to, not because we're being forced to, but because we want to listen to this great king who is our savior and our master the one who has delivered us from our sin by his cross 
And so as a third point, <laughs> it's, uh, it's necessary to point out that the transfiguration of Christ actually confirms the word. The, transfiguration, the, the transfiguration of Christ confirms the word. Uh, here is the, the mountaintop experience that maybe we're looking for. Here is some indication that God is willing to give his people certain mountaintop experiences. And the Lord willing each of us. Uh, has known times when everything was just so crystal clear and so distinct before us as Jesus was in his transfigured appearance before the disciples. But it, it needs to be pointed out that even in this manifestation of Christ's glory, it's the word of God that is primary, that is confirmed. In other words, even as Jesus gives this mountaintop experience, to his disciples, he still, in that mountaintop experience, calls upon them to listen, to hear the word as the ordinary means of God's grace in our lives. Too often we want that mountaintop experience, and that is certainly understandable. I mean, who wouldn't want to have been there in the transfiguration of our Lord. Why shouldn't we pray for such great movements of God's Spirit within our lives? May, may He send it to us, that we have, you know, in the life of this church, some, some great manifestation of the, of the glory of Christ. But, but there's a danger here. It's the danger that we might come to demand or, or to require of God the extraordinary and so to spurn in our hearts the ordinary means of God's grace. In other words, the danger is that we start to grumble at the simple way that he calls us to worship him. That we start to grumble about having to sit under a sermon, under the preaching of God's word. That we must settle for the receiving of the of the sacraments and offering prayers and, and gifts to him and by singing his his praises. The danger is that we start to think that, well, that's boring. That's boring. What we want is a transfiguration. What we want is a mountaintop experience. But notice that as Jesus is transfigured before his disciples, the, the Hebrew scriptures are actually confirmed by the presence of Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. And here again, what the disciples are, are called to do as a result of this mount, mountaintop experience, listen to him. They're not going to live on top of that mountain, and neither must we expect to live with an ongoing or even a repeated mountaintop experience. Listen to my word, says God. Are we listening to the word of God? So it has always been from creation on that God has worked through his word to do his will. 
God working through his word to bring the world into existence. God working through his word in the lives of his people Israel. God working through his incarnate word to redeem his people. And even today, God working through his word to produce faith in the hearts of his people. It's even as Romans 10 verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from a mountaintop experience. No, it doesn't say that. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. We need to be wary of discontent arising in our hearts, especially when it comes to our desire for the working of God in our in our lives. We need to be careful that we don't begin to think that God's not doing much. God's not doing anything. Uh, if we're not being taken regularly to the mountaintop, the church has been called to preach the word, to preach the word, to preach the word. Those who follow Christ are called to listen, to listen, to listen. And God has promised to be present in that ministry. He has promised to feed his people and to meet their every need through his word. And especially as his word is preached in the sacred assembly of his people. So the story of the transfiguration teaches us that, that, that faith comes from God. Faith comes from God. Faith is found in our hearts by his working. Sometimes through the extraordinary and the spectacular, but always through the word, always through the word. Let each of us pray to God to give and sustain faith in our hearts. The struggle of life is too great for us. Even in the ease and luxury, the struggle of faith is too great for us. Each of us must pray for faith. But then we must open the word. Open the word. Listen to him, says God the Father to the disciples. Listen, open your ears and listen. Each of us must pray for faith, but then we must open the word with the conviction that this is how God will answer our prayer. This is how God will work to make us his faithful people in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God our Father, give and sustain faith in us, your people. Faith is not of us. Grant us faith by your word. And to that end, grant to us, indeed, to heed your word and to hear that we must listen.
give us the mountaintop experience, if it be your will. But otherwise, grant us to listen to your word and thereby to gain and to be sustained and to grow in our faith according to your grace and according to your chosen means, working through your word. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.